The story is told of a young woman who brings home her fiancé to meet her father, especially her parents, but particularly her father. And after dinner, her mother tells the father to find out a little bit more about this young man who she had met at school. The father invites the fiancé to his study for a man-to-man talk. It'll get together, get to know one another. So the father said, what's your plan, son? And he said, well, I'm a Torah scholar. The father said, a Torah scholar, hmm, you know, that's admirable, but what will you do to provide a nice house for my daughter to live in as she's accustomed to? He said, I will continue to study hard, sir, and God will provide for us. He said, but how will you buy her a beautiful engagement ring such as the one she deserves and has been looking forward to all of her life? He said, I will concentrate on my studies, sir, and God will provide for us. And children, the father asked, how will you support your children? He said, sir, don't worry. God will provide. And the conversation proceeds like this, and each time the father asks a question, the young man insists that God will provide. Afterwards, the mother asked the question. She said to her husband, how did it go, honey? He said, well, he has no job. He has no plans. But the good news is, he thinks I'm God. Today, being Father's Day, I thought we would spend our time together focusing on God's Word to men. After all, we did the same on Mother's Day for the ladies, and it's kind of payback time for the guys. And uh, while you look around, you know, it becomes apparent that very few men finish strong. You know, the man who hangs in there for the long haul with his wife and his children and his God, you know, is an exception these days. Not long ago, I read the results of a survey that was conducted at a Christian conference, and the survey asked one simple question of those who were in attendance that particular weekend. The question was simply this, tell me about the marriage you most admire. Nearly 50% responded that they could not think of or recommend even one healthy, exemplary marriage. You know, beyond the lack of model marriages, millions of people have suffered significant pain from broken marriages. You know, in fact, one researcher estimated that 70% of all Americans today have been impacted by divorce, either their parents or their own. And for those who would doubt such numbers, I want you to consider the following. How many here today, how many here today have been impacted by divorce, whether parents children's, siblings, or even close friends. I just want to see a a show of hands. And if you look around, you'll notice that that 70% is pretty accurate. And I don't ask that to embarrass anybody, to make anybody feel guilty or anything like that. I just ask the question to be able to demonstrate in a very tangible way how real it is what I'm about to share this morning and how important that it is to make the point that too few men, and I will add women, are finishing strong. So today on this Father's Day, I want to share four truths that will help us men to one day, like the Apostle Paul, be able to declare with the utmost confidence, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, and I have kept the faith. To finish strong and to live our lives as men with no regrets, to be able to look back over the totality of our life and say that, you know what, I lived each day obedient in the moment in time. And when this day took care of this, the next came and the next and so on. At the end of my lifetime, 
I can say not bragging or boastful in any way because let he who boasts, boast in the Lord. But the reality is I can look back and say, you know what? I've lived a life of no regrets because I did what God required of me each and every day. You know, I like the following story that kind of illustrates what I'm trying to say about finishing strong. The story is told that after dying in a car crash, three friends went to heaven for orientation. Now, I don't know who comes up with this stuff, but uh, just, just bear with me as far as just making a, a whole different point. This is not theologically sound whatsoever. But they were all asked the same question. When you are in your casket and friends and family are mourning over you, what would you like to hear them say about you? The first guy immediately responds, I'd like to hear them say that I was one of the great doctors of my time, and on top of that, even a great family man. The second guy thought about it and said, you know what, I'd like to hear him say I was a wonderful husband and a school teacher who made a huge difference in our children of tomorrow. And the last guy thought a, bit, a little bit longer than the other two, and he, and he said, you know what, I'd like to hear him say, look, he's moving. <laughs> There's a guy that knows how to finish strong. So on a serious note, let's take a look at those four truths that we can look at and that will help us as men to be able to, at the end of our life, to finish strong and to say as the Apostle Paul did, you know, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. And the first thing, and if you've got your outlines with you that we provide in the bulletin, you'll notice that point number one is simply this. We've got to remember the importance of God's Word. Remember the importance of God's word in helping us to finish strong as men who want to do what's right before God. You know, we're to stay in the scriptures. The first absolute essential requirement for finishing strong is to stay in the word of God and to stay close to our Savior, to walk hand in hand with him. And the term that's used throughout the Bible is the term meditation. You know, as God hands over the reins to, the, to, the, to, uh, to Joshua to lead the nation of Israel, it's a tremendous time of transition. If you'll turn back to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, you'll see that it's a time of transition in the history of the nation. Moses had led them up to this point, and Joshua is a little bit hesitant on fulfilling the calling of God in his life and taking over this leadership position. After all, there was nobody like Moses as far as the Israelites were concerned. He was, he was God's man. He was God's man at the right time and the right place. He was the, the, the giver or the keeper of the laws of God. In fact, later at the Mount of Transfiguration, we're told that, that Moses and Elijah appeared, Moses representing the law and Elijah, the prophets, the totality of the word of God appeared with Jesus as he was transfigured before the disciples, Peter, James, and John. And so Moses was a tremendous man. You talk about big shoes to fill and to walk in his footsteps. And God said, you know what? In verse one, he says, now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise and cross this Jordan, you and all this people to the land, which I'm giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. And so you see God saying, look, I've promised this to you. You were rebellious and disobedient. You didn't trust me. And therefore, you were condemned to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And that end of that discipline period is now over. And it's time to proceed with the plan that I had for you all along. And you are going to be the one, Joshua, that I have chosen to lead these people to inherit the land that I had promised. You know, again, we see the, the reality that when 
God promises something, he simply looks for us to be obedient and trust him in the clearly revealed promises of God. He has clearly revealed this to him, as he did when, when Gabriel showed up, as we've been studying the, in the Gospel of Luke. When Gabriel showed up and he told Zacharias, you're going to have a son. And he's going to be, you know, he's going to be born and this is what he's going to do and this is what his whole life's going to be about. And Zacharias didn't trust God. And he wanted another sign. And as a result, there was a consequence of his disobedience to God. And the same is true as we see here that the nation of Israel didn't trust God. And God said, for that, you will experience a consequence for your disobedience and for your failure to believe the word of God. Listen to me, folks. God is very serious about his word. When he says something, he expects us to believe it. And any dad or anyone in authority understands the power of the word. I told you to be home at a certain time. I told you to pick up your clothes. I told you to do this or that. When I say something to you, I mean what I say. And anything beyond what? Obedience and action accordingly is rebellion. And God is no different. The, the, the perfect Father, our God, who says, I, I, I'm serious about my word. When I say something, I expect you to honor it with your obedience and your action. We need to recognize how important the word of God is. Jesus even said to, to the man who was waiting in Sheol for his ultimate judgment, and the man said, listen, if I come back from the dead, let me go warn my brothers, this is real. Everything you say is real. It's appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. Let me go back from the dead so that I can warn my brothers and my family. And you know what Jesus said to him? Even if you come back from the dead, no one will listen to you because they had my word. They had the law, and they had the prophets. They had the totality of the word of God. And if they don't believe me, who I'm God, why would they believe you? God is serious about his word, fellows, and what he's saying to you and I is that, you know what, he wants you and I to stay in the word of God, to believe God's word and to trust him, and yet we see this hesitancy on the part of Joshua because it's pretty evident that Joshua was a little hesitant to follow in the footsteps of Moses. You know, it was interesting because as we look at this, after all, as I mentioned, Moses was a great man. And yet at the same time, what Joshua did was he committed the cardinal sin, so to speak, the great mistake. And he began to compare himself to another human being. There is nothing that you and I will do any worse than that as men by comparing ourselves to other people instead of keeping our eyes on God and his calling in our life. See, with God, we can do all things. With God, all things are possible. Through Christ, all things I can do through him who strengthens me. So when God tells you and I to do something, he's not asking us to do something that we cannot accomplish because he's the one who says, I'll accomplish it through you. The only thing I ask of you is what? To be obedient. You know, as Mary was a great indicator of that, a person whose heart was right before God who said, you know what, may it be done to me according to your word. I don't understand it, but I don't doubt what you're saying. I just don't understand what you're saying, but you know what, it's still good enough to me that I'll just do what you say for me to do. Now, Joshua, if you've ever had those Joshua moments, have you ever been at that crossroad of life, had that Joshua moments, perhaps even now, where you're gifted, you're called, you're chosen by God to serve him in a specific manner, only to try to rationalize and justify a way to disqualify yourself? Have you ever been there? 
Certainly you can't mean me. I, I mean, I'll be very personal. Uh, you know, when we struggled and wrestled with starting this church, Kindred Community Church, you know, I struggled personally with many things. And the things that I struggle with, I'll share with you now, they were, you know, the qualifications and the expectations of people who say, well, this is what we expect for someone who would be qualified to lead versus the fact that God was saying, you know what, though, but trust me and I've gifted you. And if you trust me and walk in obedience with me and you lean on me and count on me, you don't have to worry about that or get hung up on that. Oh, I struggle with that. Or I wrestled over, you know, the personal ambition part of, wait a minute, you know what, this has never been a personal ambition of mine, but yet there was, a, there was a calling or a compulsion that God said, no, but you know what, for such a time as this, this is what you're going to do. And then as I went through scripture, I was comforted because I ran across the testimony of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, who when he came face to face with Jesus and had accepted him as his Savior, he recognized his sinfulness, he repented of sin, he received Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he was born again. Later on in his life, when he stood before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, he told him all about how he came to faith in Christ. Well, you people know me. I couldn't stand Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, I was out persecuting anybody who followed him. And yet when I was on the road to Damascus, when I went to kill and, and arrest or to persecute these people, these followers of the way, I saw Jesus face to face. I was confronted with him. He's alive. And I kept telling everybody, you can't be going around bragging about somebody who's dead. And they kept saying he's alive. And I kept saying, no, he's not. And they kept saying, yes, he is. We saw him. We were with them. We spent time with them. And I kept saying, you people are crazy. You're, you're heretics. You're blaspheming our God. And I was going to shut them up and destroy them and, 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 and do away with them. And then I saw Jesus. And then guess what? I concluded they were right and I was wrong. And I trusted him as my Savior. And therefore, King Agrippa, I stand here before you. Consequently, I could not prove disobedient to the vision that I had. And what he's saying is, consequently, I could not prove disobedient to the calling of God in my life to go into all the world and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and God, and he is raised from the dead. Yes, he died on the cross, but he raised from the dead. He's alive today. I trusted in him, and my life is not the same. The conversion of Saul of Tarsus to the great apostle Paul was one of the greatest testimonies and evidence of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no one in secular history who's been able to explain what happened to that man. What happened to that man is clearly indicated in Scripture. He saw Jesus, him crucified, and him raised from the dead. And he said, consequently, I couldn't prove disobedient. I got to do what God called me to do. And so you, you struggle with that. And then you got people that, you know, they choose ministry as a career path. And then there's also God's calling. And I struggled with all of those things. I'm just going to be upfront, transparent with you. And the one thing that brought me back to where I needed to be was as I studied and searched the word of God, I found comfort in God's word. Not just in the life of Paul, Saul of Tarsus, and his conversion to, to Christianity, but also in this passage right here that I read today, he says, God promised him, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. Do you know that, fellas? Just as God was with Moses and God is with Joshua, God is with you and God is with me as we walk in obedience behind him. I will not fail you, nor will I forsake you. I'm not going to take you down a path and not bring it to completion or fruition. If you remember the Israelites, their complaint to God was, man, you brought us out of Egypt, you brought us into the wilderness, and the next thing you know, God, you're just going to let us die out here. He said, that is nonsense. 
I didn't bring you out of Egypt to kill you in the wilderness. That's not me. That's the devil whispering stupidity in your ear, and you're buying into it. I got a plan for you. I got a purpose in what I've done. I got a land I promised to you. It's you who's holding us back from accomplishing this, the sovereignty of God, the free will of man. And God says, hey, walk in obedience with me and watch what we're going to accomplish together. Man, that's awesome. But here's what he said, and it wasn't an option. It was a command. Be strong and courageous. Here's your part. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. And you know, the bottom line is this. God made a promise, and if Joshua wouldn't have fulfilled his responsibility, then God had somebody else lined up. But he knew Joshua would because he knows all things. But the reality is this. God's promises will not be limited by you and me, our willingness to be obedient or disobedient, because they will come to pass. You might as well be a part of it and enjoy it and celebrate it and have joy and go, man, this is great, God that you want to use me. This is great you want to use us. This is great that we can be a part of your plan because it's going to happen anyway. Might as well be part of all of it. He says, be strong and very courageous. And here's where the answer comes. He says, be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you'll be very careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. He said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And the answer to all of us fellows is this. You know what? Meditate on the word of God day and night. And then be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Don't just meditate, study it, memorize it, hear it, and all those things. But then once you hear it, then do it. Then live it out. Now, some of you are thinking, man, but I'm busy. Well, I'll ask you a question. How busy do you think Joshua was? He had a couple million. Now, see, you would have won something in our contest today, right? All right, how many of you have him, uh, two million employees? All right, well, Joshua did. Two million, I mean, he had over two million people he was responsible for. Man, he had to make sure they were fed. He had to make sure that they were clothed. He had to make sure they were protected from their enemies. I mean, I don't know what your day's like, but he was a busy guy. And you know what God said to him? I don't care how busy you are. The secret of success in God's eyes is that you meditate on the Word of God. And the word meditate, for those of you who may not be familiar, I, I kind of have like a sports background. And, and so I, I've learned a lot in that, in that arena of life. God brings these things to my mind. And, you know, I'm going to the stadium right after this. We got chap, chapel this morning. And, um, and, and when I'm at, I go through and I go through the clubhouse or I go up in the dugout or out into the field or whatever, you know, I notice guys like packing stuff in their lip. And they're just like, I don't know if you've ever seen it or anything, but they just like packing stuff. It's just something that's just packing in there. It's packing in there. sitting over there. They're getting it all ready to go. And then they go like this. And they're just, you know, and, and, I, and every time I see that packing it in there, and then they just kind of like, it's sucking on it, and it's chewing, and it's sucking. And they're just like, you know, trying to get the most out of that. Now, I don't advocate any of that, by the way, so don't go off on a tangent here and miss the point I'm trying to make. I'm using it as an illustration to say, you know what? That's a great picture of what God says you and I should do as men, meditate on the Word of God. Just kind of like pack it in. 
pack it in, and then just suck on it and get everything you can out of it. You know, it's like when I go, no, seriously, it's like, uh, 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 I got a lady in the front row going, no, no, I don't think so. Well, move to the back row. And uh, that's, just, that's just me. I mean, that's just, I'm just trying to help the guys out. This is Father's Day now, ladies. Okay, so. So, but it's kind of like that, you know what I mean? It's like, man, just, you know, and in fact, I don't know if some of you remember, back in the day, I was like, say, back in the day, there was a guy by the name of Earl Campbell. He used to play for the Houston Oilers before they moved to Tennessee, but Earl was a big guy, man. He could run, and, and it was back in the day when a guy named Bum Phillips was the coach, and they had all these powder blue pom-poms, which was a whole different story that I never quite understood. You know, football fans waving powder blue pom-poms, and that's what troubles me about UCLA and places like that, but... <laughs> But, hey, hey, hey. And, and all the SC fans said, amen. amen. All right. So, on its night, we're getting, we're getting carried away. Okay. But, but Earl Campbell, back, back to the story. Earl Campbell used to endorse a product. And, uh, and, it was, and, and what he would do is they would show him. This guy was huge. And he would be walking down the beach. And he had, like, two women on, one on each arm. And all the guys were on the beach watching Earl, and Earl would be strutting down the beach, and they'd be looking at him, and, it, and it, just at the perfect time, he'd stop, and every guy was wondering, and he'd look back, and he'd go, skull, brother. You know, it was, that, it was, that, it was all because he, you know, he used skull that, you know, he could have, you know, two women and all the success in life and whatever. And, and, and I was thinking of that, and, and, and this is kind of how I think sometimes when I'm going like this, you know, when, when, when God, when, when men of God are successful before the eyes of God, it, 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 you could turn around and say, it's the word, brother. <laughs> it is. It is the word, right? It's the word of God. And, and, and so we need to recognize the importance of, you know what, 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 the importance of God's word will be indicated in our life by the amount of time we spend what? Reading it. I mean, be honest. How much time do you spend reading the word of God? You can't memorize on it, meditate on it. You can't store it up unless you're reading it. You got to read it. You got to study it. You got to hear it. Then you can memorize it. You can meditate on it. When I go for a run, I'm meditating on the Word of God. It takes my mind off the pain, number one, and it teaches me spiritual truth, number two. And so by the time I get here, I don't even need notes. You've probably seen that, and some of you probably thinking, stick to the notes. <laughs> well, get out of here a half hour earlier. But it's like, because it's, it's all, it becomes a part of me. It's like, man, I know this. I don't need that. I know this outline because I meditate on the word of God. I know what God wants to say. And I know what his word has to say. And he says, listen, you know, the word of God is the most important, essential weapon that God has given to you and me as men to fight off the enemy. And as we go through this and recognize it, look at Psalm chapter, look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, what a beautiful psalm. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in its season and its leaf doesn't wither and whatever he does, he prospers. He says, man, you know, that's, that's the guy who's blessed by God. The guy who is, he's having, it's delightful to him 
the laws of God, the word of God, and in his law, he meditates day and night. Man, he can't get it off of his mind. He meditates on it day and night. In every area of his life, he looks for ways to apply what he learns. And then he's like a tree, man, with deep, deep roots that he can't get tossed to and from with every deceitful wind of doctrine that James warns about. But he's deep, man. He's like a linebacker who's deep, you know, and, and he's honkered down and nobody can come out and block him. And that's his territory. And he's just sh- shedding guys left or right or like a batter in a batter's box who just, you see those guys, they just dig in and they say, I dare you to throw something inside. I dare you to do that. And you'll see pitchers who will try to knock him off the plate, but those guys dig in and they say, you know what? This is my territory. This is, this is where I will be successful. And that's what God's saying to you and me. That when we meditate on the word of God and we live according to everything that we read in there, we'll be successful in the sight of God. Praise God for that. In Psalm 119, skip ahead and you'll see how important it is to recognize, to meditate, to know the word of God, to live out what we learn. Because as we see this, the, the, the answer to all of our problems in life are found here. He says, how can a man, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can we keep from screwing up? How can we keep from making mistakes? How can we keep from falling and failing and not finishing strong? He says, here's how, by keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Do you really seek God with all your heart? Or do you squeeze him in your busy schedule? Hey, I want three bucks worth of God. That's enough, and I'm busy. I got other things going on. I'll give you a half an hour, an hour, hour and a half tops on a Sunday morning, but you know what? That's all the time I have for you. Man, that's a psalmist is saying, you know what? I seek you. I want to know you. I want to understand your word. I want to know you more. I want to know how I can be successful in your sight, in this world, for your purposes and for your kingdom. He says, don't let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured and hid in my heart that I not, might not sin against you. I couldn't help but think of Mary. She treasured the word of God in her heart. She pondered those things to see what it was that God was trying to tell her and teach her and how he was leading her. She treasured him as a valuable, precious treasure. She treasured the word of God in her heart. You and I are to treasure the word of God in our hearts. So what? So that we don't sin against God. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me your statues. What's my lips I have told of all the ordinance of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard thy ways. I shall delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. To be successful in the sight of God, we've got to remember the importance of God's word. You know, as you go through each day, you've always got the word of God in your cheek or in your you know, as, as I said, stuffed in there somewhere where you're chewing on it, you're meditating on it, you get the, all the juice out of it. And you know what? And when you're tempted, then you spit the word of God in the face of temptation. Jesus, as he was tempted in the wilderness, answered the enemy with the word of God. The only way you and I can answer temptation is with the word of God. The only way you and I can answer those who would mislead us and take us down the wrong road is by the standard, the objective standard of the Word of God. We test the the spirits. We test what is being said. As the Bereans did, they challenged and tested everything the great Apostle Paul said by what was revealed in God's clearly revealed Word. They tested him. They examined the Scriptures daily to see if what he was saying was truthful. And they were commended for all of eternity for not just taking his Word. 
I challenge all of you to continue to examine anything and everything I ever say from this pulpit by the word of God to make sure that I'm not misled and to make sure as a result I don't mislead you. Study the word of God. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Check it. Hold us each accountable to what's going on. And then we will have great success in the sight of God. Amen? That's awesome. This is great stuff. And if you do that today, you'll be successful today. Yesterday is past. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. We need to live and be faithful in the moment. You do what's right today, and if God gives you tomorrow, commit to do what's right to that day, and the day after, and the day after, and the day after. And you know what? That's how men get to the Hall of Fame in a chosen sport. They're excellent at what they do each and every day. And one day turns to the next, to another, to a week, to a month, to a season, to two seasons, to three, to 10, to 15. And at the end of all of it, you know what? They were committed to excellence and they lived lives of no regrets. You and I need to adopt that same mentality. The second thing that's really important is that we realize the value of an intimate friend. We realize the value of an intimate friend. You know, to a friend who loves you enough to tell you when you're messing up to a friend that stays in the word, to a friend that is in love with Jesus Christ, to a friend who has come to personally know him as their savior, committed their life to him, and has committed to being in the word of God. Men, one of the primary ways the enemy keeps a guy from finishing strong is isolation. Instead of being open and transparent, we remain distant. We may even be in an accountability group or with a group of other believers designed to help us be open, yet we can choose to hold back. I could give you example after example after example of men that I had known personally, men that I have been involved with in a discipleship time or involved in an accountability group, and we could meet for years and never know what was really going on in that guy's life until it was finally brought to the light. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing more tragic than that because what happens is instead of following Christ, you begin to act like you're following Christ. And that's what happens when a guy gets isolated and tries to go one-on-one with the devil. Instead of following Christ, you act like you are. And there's a huge difference between the two. We need to have an intimate friendship with a godly man that we can share the struggles of our life so that we can encourage one another and equip one another to fight the battle that we're in. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews toward the back of your Bibles. And we'll see some encouragement in this regard. In Hebrews chapter 3, we see the importance of that type of accountability. To have that type of friend or that type of relationship In verse 12 of Hebrews 3, we read, Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Just a great example of the fact that every one of us, if we take our eyes off of Jesus, are susceptible to falling away from the living God. Falling away from the standpoint that we're not obedient. Following from the standpoint that we don't enjoy the blessings of God. Now, don't ever forget that to him who is truly born again, Jesus said, in no way will I ever lose one. 
but there's practical everyday consequences of those who choose not to walk in obedience with God. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. What a man sows, he's going to reap. And so he's saying, you know what? Stay close to the Lord and to close to another brother in Christ who will keep you focused and encourage you to continue to do what's right before God. In Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, we're told the same type of uh, admonishment where we read, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing by, drawing near. When, when we get together as believers, we encourage one another to do what's right before God. You got guys who are struggling in their business and they begin to want to compromise before God and they begin to want to do things that are wrong and we encourage one another, don't do that. We got guys who are struggling in their marriages or they've got somebody that come into their life and they begin to be tempted to do that which is wrong before God and we encourage one another. You know what? But we need to be open and transparent and know what's going on in the heart of one another so we can be able to direct them into the word of God and say, but you know what? Don't buy into the lie. Encourage one another. We need that type of friendship. We need those types of relationships. Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful the kisses of an enemy. The importance of having that type of friendship. I love the story that I've heard and I've shared before, but it's appropriate in this point of Muhammad Ali back in the day when he was reigning heavyweight champion of the world. And Ali had just taken his seat in the first-class section of a 747 that was ready to take off. The flight attendant came by and asked the champ to fasten his seatbelt. And Ali looked at the woman and said, Superman, don't need no seatbelt. And she responded, and Superman, don't need no plane, buckle up. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, hey, man, you know what? None of us are Superman. None of us are. We all need one another. We need to encourage one another, and we need to exhort one another. We need to keep each other you know, grounded in the Word of God. And the question I have for you is this, and this is a sad reality about men, and that's simply this. How many men have that kind of man in their life? Not very many. Not very many. Why? Because we don't really want know, people to know about our struggles. We don't want people to know about our weaknesses. We don't want people to think less, a, less of us than what we want to project. We're more, we're more concerned about image than we are with being right with God. So we don't share our struggles. And you know what? Now, I don't, you know, let's be upfront about this too. Um, you know, we've all been there. We've shared our struggles with other people, and it became like, you know, the, 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 the five o'clock gossip hour, you know. And we got to be careful about that, too. And that's why we have to be intimate, because when we share those types of things and we violate that confidence, it destroys everything God wants to do. So God says, share with one another, encourage each other, equip one another. The devil comes along and says, hey, man, you can't wait to tell somebody else about what you heard, right? And so they run around telling people, and then what happens is it violates that confidence and trust. And then you say, what? I'm never sharing anything with anybody again and guess what the enemy wins again and it's sad so number one we need to be open and transparent to share but number two when somebody shares with you you better keep it confidential because you violate everything that God's trying to accomplish through that purpose and program that he's established well, we, we need to pray about this oh come on you know what you don't care about praying about it. you can't wait to tell somebody now if you're serious about praying about it pray about it but we need to be open and transparent. Now, here's, really the, here's where all this comes into light. If you don't have a friend like that, then pray that God will bring one into your life. 
And then pray this, that God would make you that person for someone else. All right? We're always looking for God to bring someone into our life. You know what? Isn't it time that some of us are that person, that answer to that prayer, that we can come alongside somebody else and say, Lord, find somebody for me that I can be that person in their life to hold them accountable and help them in their walk with the Lord. Man, that's awesome stuff. And fellows, let me just share this last thing before we move to the next point, and that's this. If you're married, your wife should be that kind of friend. And I've heard, I've heard this said, and, and I'm going to share it. A woman who's allowed to see inside her husband's heart is a woman who will become his friend for life because she knows him and she trusts him because he's holding nothing back from her. So, number three, restrict your involvement with women. And I will follow that up to say this. Restrict your involvement with women to behavior that is pleasing to God. All right? Restrict your involvement with women to behavior that is pleasing to God. And to better clarify this point, I want to establish two distinct categories of men. Number one, those of us who are married. Number two, those who are single. I'll start with the married guys. One of the reasons the vast majority of guys don't finish strong is found right here in this area, and that is simply inappropriate behavior with women other than one's wife, period. Several years ago, I was working with a young guy who had just taken over the business of his father who had been in business for 40 years. His dad was about 70 years old, and he had one of those sit-down-with-the-young-guy kind of talks. He said, fellas, sit down. I want to share something with you. And he sat down and said, I just want to share with you three things that I've seen over the course of my business life, three things over my life that have destroyed men quicker than anything else. And he said, number one, other women. Number two, toys. And number three, booze. Women, toys, and booze will destroy a man's life quicker than anything else. Within a year this young man that I was working with and then was no longer working with him because some of the things that were going on lost everything his dad had worked for for 40 years. Why? Because he got involved with women other than his wife. Number two, he went out and started spending every bit of money that he had on toys to impress the women other than his wife. And number three, he was so troubled by everything that was going on, he turned to cocaine and booze and everything else and totally destroyed his life. You know what? That, that's just godly counsel. Women, toys, and booze. In this case, they all went hand in hand, but there's a way that seems right to man, and the end is destruction. End result was the same. What does God's word have to say about that? Proverbs 6, turn with me. Proverbs, cha Proverbs chapter 6. God war warns of the foolishness of a guy who takes his eyes off his wife and starts looking around. My son, observe the commandments of your father and don't forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck. Meditate on them day and night, is what God told, told Joshua. When you walk about, they'll guide you. When they sleep, they'll watch over you. And when you awake, they'll talk to you. I love it. It says, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light and reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her catch you with her eyelids. It says, for on one account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? 
So is the man who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. And on and on it goes. In Proverbs 7, we find the same warning. And the bottom line is this. How does one keep from making such a disastrous decision? Number one, we remember the importance of God's word. We meditate on it day and night. Number two, we realize the value of an intimate male friend who loves the Lord and the word of God that when we struggle with something, we can share with him so he can point us back to the word of God and keep us out of the danger that is impending. I love the story of a man named Hernando Cortez. History tells us he had a plan and he wanted to uh, lead an expedition into Mexico to capture its vast treasures. When he told the Spanish governor his strategy, the governor got so excited he gave him 11 ships and 700 men. Little did the governor know, Cortez had failed to tell him the entire plan. After months of travel, the 11 ships landed in Veracruz in the spring of 1519. As soon as the men unloaded the ships, Cortez instituted the rest of his plan. He burned all the ships. That's what you call commitment. That's what you call no turning back. That's what you call burning your bridges. Cortez didn't have any bridges, but he burned his ships. So by burning him, he eliminated the options. He didn't know what he would encounter on his expeditions to the interior lands. He didn't know the strength of the people that he would be fighting, but he did know this. If there were no other alternatives, his men would stay committed to the task at hand. Isn't that great? Fellas, here's, here's, I mean, this is a very simple, simple counsel, and that's this. Once you get married, there's no other options than to work out whatever it is that is troubling you in your relationship. You burn your bridges. There's no turning back. There's no ship to go to. There's nobody in the bullpen to call. There's nobody in waiting, you know? It's like, they're just, hey, just you made a commitment before God and before man, then honor your commitment. Marriage isn't based on feelings or emotions. It's based on a decision and an act of will, a commitment. It just drives me crazy when I see people that I had, an, you know, maybe even a, a hand in the process of somebody getting married, and I just see, you know, it's like I get embarrassed sometimes over how googly-eyed, you know, a, a new bride and groom are with each other. They're just like, oh, you look so nice. Oh, you look so nice. Oh, oh you look, oh, is that like you know, it's just, it's just, it's like, oh, it's embarrassing, you know, rent a room, you know, wait till, you know, it's coming, you know, tonight, hey, you know, but, but it's like, it's just, it gets crazy. And then the same people, you know, a few years down the road and a couple other things, and it's like, well, I didn't know that's the way she brushed her teeth and spit in the sink. Well, so what? At least he's spitting in the sink. Could always be worse. You know, I didn't know he left the toilet seat up in the middle of the night. So put it down. It's not that hard. If he won't do it, you do it. You're the one that's in the greatest danger. It's not that big a deal. Until, and then after, he's in greater danger. I know that. But it's like, it's, oh, come on. I mean, you know, think about the things that people, and that's like, but, oh, but, but God wanted us to be happy. No, he just wants you to honor your commitment. That's what he wants. And if you, you know, burn your ships, burn your bridges, realize there's no turning back, there's no other option, that's it. Make it work. Trust God. Make it work. You loved him one time, you loved her one time, guess what? God can make you fall in love again. Make it work. Oh, you know what? (laughs) 
There are going to be people walking around heaven helping Kay hold up her crown, brother. We need some more help. We need some more help over here. We can always edit these things for the people that get them in the mail. All right, I, I, got, I got stuff to do here. Let's go. Um, so anyway, that, that's the point. Commitment, right? That's the point. And, and here's how, practically speaking, all this works. Number one, fellas, guard your eyes. I'm just going to do a little anatomy lesson for y'all. Let's guard our eyes. What was David's problem? He saw Bathsheba, and then he lusted after her in his heart, and then he sent for her. Guard your eyes. Guard your eyes. In simple terms, as, as Job says, I've made a covenant, a commitment with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. Praise God for that. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Fix your eyes straight ahead. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Don't be looking around at other women. Don't be looking around at other options. There isn't any. Keep your eyes on him. There's no room in the life of a Christian man for pornography. Period. End of conversation. Magazines, movies, internet, whatever it is, there's no room for it because all it'll do is it'll destroy your purity and your love for your wife and you will lust after other women and you will become discontent in your relationship and the spiral, the death spiral takes place from there. Guard your eyes because what we see with our eyes goes into our minds and 2 Corinthians 10 says this, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. How is what I'm thinking right before God? God, remove this from me. And you know what? And if you're meditating on the word of God, you spit a verse right in that lustful, that lustful thought that you have and you memorize and meditate the word of God. Put limitations on your lips, meaning no flirting, no coarse, gestion, no coarse jesting, no sexual innuendos. Never share your marital difficulties with another woman. Share them with your godly male friend. The Bible says, greet one another with a holy kiss not with one that has a wrong intention or a wrong motive. When, we, when our children were younger, and even when I was younger, I remember an age-old uh, you know, counsel of every parent that I've ever seen, or even grandparent, that's how they say, every, every children has heard this before. Hey, hey, keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> what needs to be said? Keep your hands to yourself. We gotta be careful how we greet one another. We gotta respect one another's space. We gotta be careful even when we hug people. I come from a background, I like to hug people, but I also recognize some people don't like to be hugged. And you know what? And I need to respect that and understand that and hand out a hand. If somebody grabs your hand and they yank you in and they wanna hug you, well, you know what? You gotta be careful about what the appearance is and the appearance of evil. We always gotta be careful about these things. Because, you know, you know what you're thinking, and God knows what you're thinking. The other person may not know, and we've got to be careful of all those things. See, that's why the Bible says that we're, we're to commit our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. You know, to commit our bodies, to stop presenting our bodies as instruments of unrighteousness, Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 because the last thing I want to, I want to encourage uh, married men is the same thing I want to encourage for those who are single, and that's this. You know what? Flee from sexual morality with your feet. Run. Run. As Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife, so you and I must run from sexual temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it relates to single men and to all of us, but I want to refer it specifically to single guys, and that's this. I, you know, I, I don't know how to make this any clearer or simpler to understand, but 
1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, chapter 6, deals with sexual immorality, and God's answer is this, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? He says, for you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. He goes on in chapter 7 to say, because of immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. In very clear words that cannot be misunderstood, sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage is a sin. It was a sin. It is a sin. It will always be a sin. It is wrong before God, regardless of how the culture adopts different behavior. The word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The answer is Flee sexual immorality. If you want God to bless you, fellas, if you want God to bless your dating relationships, and then you need to honor him with your obedience in this area and every area of life. One last thought as it relates to married men. Several years ago, the New York Jets had a quarterback by the name of Joe. They called him Broadway Joe because of his proximity to Broadway in New York, but also because of his lifestyle. The guy was notorious as a playboy, and his dating life was always chronicled in the news and in the papers and whatever. Broadway Joe Namath. And the guy always had, you know, the latest person that was in the news at his, at his arm side. Well, there was a reporter who came to a fellow by the name of Roger Staubach. Roger Staubach was very open about his Christian faith. He was a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. And the question that was asked of Roger, he said, this person said to Roger, he asked him the question about, you know, what do you think of Joe Namath? And he asked him if he envied Joe's obvious active sex life. And Roger looked at the guy, thought for a second, and says, you know what, I'm going to ask you something. What makes you think I'm not as sexually active as Joe? And this reporter got fired. Oh, man, you hear something like that, it's like, (laughs) write it, baby. Tell me, tell me. He said, well, what do you mean by that? And here's Roger's response. He said, you know what, I want to tell you something. He said, I'm just as sexually active as Joe and perhaps even more so. So the only difference is that all my sexual activity is restricted to my wife. The reporter, bummed, man. <laughs> I've seen that, man. I've seen it. They're like, oh, they walk away. Next, you know. But that's, that's the reality of it. You know, adultery doesn't begin with a sexual organ. It begins with the eyes and is entertained in the mind. And the man who renews his commitment to his wife and to his God every day is a man of holiness and a lethal weapon in the hands of God. Won't you commit to being such a man today? Number four, and we'll close on this. We need to recognize the reality of an industrious enemy. Recognize the reality of an industrious enemy. Man, we have an enemy who is hardworking to destroy God's people. And the Bible clearly teaches that. In the book of Ephesians, if you'll turn there, this being our last point. Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10, he says, Finally, Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. He says, put on the full armor of God that you're able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Schemes or strategies of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and against the powers and rulers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
It says, therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith which with, which, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Folks, we must develop, men, we must develop a renewed sense of awareness of the schemes and the strategies of the one that God calls the destroyer, even Satan himself. You know, we must, like good soldiers, never lower our guard, never relax, and become derelict in our duties because the Bible says we are at war. It's a spiritual war, but a war nonetheless. And I think of our soldiers that are around the, around the globe and how anytime they, they drop their guard or they don't take things seriously or they don't do diligence in their, in their duties, there's always tragedy and catastrophe. They made an assumption and it turned out to be wrong. They didn't do what they were trained to do. And the same is true, men, of our lives as, as God's people here on earth. We're to do what we're trained to do and never lower our guard, realizing that any moment we have an enemy, who, we have an, adversi- an adversary who, who is diligent, he's industrious, he works hard at trying to take out God's people so that we're no longer effective for the kingdom of God. We cannot lower our guard. Satan is a gentleman, Bacon told us, a charming fellow with immense power, subtlety, and thousands of years of experience. His chief aim, of course, is to injure the God against whom he once rebelled. And to accomplish this, Satan misrepresents the Creator to his creatures, always attempting to frustrate his good purposes for them and hopefully, in the process, break the heart of God. Satan promises us the world, but as Milton said, all is false and hollow. Though his tongue drops manna, and makes the worse appear a better reason. I like that. The strategy of the devil is to make the worse appear to be better than what God has to offer. How many of us have heard others' reason as such? I don't have time to read my Bible. I'm busy. Don't share your struggles with a friend. He won't understand, and not only that, he'll think less of you. And don't worry, this is going to go away pretty soon. It's just a little glitch. It's just a moment, you know, in time. Don't, don't share that. It'll be all right. It really won't hurt to have sex with someone outside of marriage. After all, I'm single, and, you know, hey, we love each other. Or I'm married, and, you know, it's just sex. It's not like I'd ever leave my wife for someone like that. For those getting a divorce, you know, it's really not going to hurt the kids. You ever notice kids are really resilient? And it not it better that we end our marriage than have our children watch us, you know, always just living in this hateful environment with one another? See, that's the way the reasoning goes. Surely didn't, God didn't mean that when he said that. You must be misinterpreting it. You need to go to a church that will accept you as you are and not be so critical, condemning, or judgmental about sin because it's not really sin. In fact, if you look around, you can find a whole lot of people who will tell you what you're doing is okay. 
But when we look in the Word of God, we find out what God has to say. And God's not influenced, by the way, by popular vote or demographics or democracy. All we need to do is read through his word and we find that you can have a whole culture or civilization who says, we believe what we're doing is right and God says it's wrong and I'll destroy you as a result. See, because it's a theocracy. It's a vote of one. God is God and we're not. Doesn't matter how many times we try to convince one another what we're doing is right. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. It's always been wrong, always will be wrong. And at that point, we we have a choice. To repent of our sin and confess it before God or continue in our willful defiance and disobedience. But don't be deceived. God's not mocked when a man sows, he reaps. I thank God that regardless of whatever and, and however we failed or struggled in our past, that God is a God who says, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In closing, there's an old parable that's told by a Haitian pastor who makes the point that there's not a, there can't be a single area of our life that we haven't deeded over to God. So a certain man wanted to sell his house for $2,000. A mother man wanted to buy it very badly, but he was a poor man and he didn't have the full price. After much bargaining, the owner agreed to sell the house to the man for $1,000, but the reduced price came with one stipulation. The owner would sell the house, but he would keep ownership of a very large nail protruding from from above the front door. Several years later, the original owner decided he wanted to buy the house back, and understandably, the new owner was unwilling to sell. As a result, the original owner went out, found the carcass of a dead dog in the street, and hung it from the nail that he still owned over the front door. Says soon the house became unlivable, and the family was forced to sell the owner to the owner of that nail. The Haitian pastor concluded the story with these words. He said, if we leave the devil with even one small peg in our life, he will return to hang his rotten garbage on it. You may own the entire home, but if you give the enemy access to just one nail in your life, it definitely puts you in the high-risk bracket. In closing, fellows, I'm going to ask you a question. Is there a nail over the front door of your life, a nail that you've leased out to the enemy, If there is, you need to deed it over to Christ and to do it today. In closing, if you want to finish strong, God's word to men is simply this. Remember the importance of God's word. Meditate on it day and night and be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And then you'll have success and then you will prosper before God. Realize the value of an intimate friend. There's a friend who loves at all times and a brother who's born for adversity. Don't buy into the lie that you can't share what's really going on in your life. But we need to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day that Jesus returns drawing near. Number three, restrict your involvement with women to behavior that is pleasing to God. Those of us who are married and those of us who are single, God expects us to live in purity in our relationships with others and to be a testimony before the world. And don't let your guard down. Recognize the reality of an industrious enemy who wants to destroy us so that we no longer can be effective for the kingdom of God. And in closing, I want to ask every guy that's here today, I want you to think about this. This is an emotional thing, but I want you to think about this. I want you to take a step and stand up as today will be one of those days you draw a line in the sand. A Father's Day that you'll never forget because you will commit yourself totally 
without any restrictions, not holding back anything, getting rid of that peg above the front door, and acknowledge if there's any area of your life that's not pleasing to God, that you're going to repent, you're going to confess it, and you're going to take a stand today, a day that you'll never forget, a day that you say, God, here I am. Use me. I want to make a difference for your kingdom. I wasted too much time, and there's too much work to be done. I want you to stand up right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're on holy ground because we know you're present with us today. God, I pray for these men and for their willingness to take a stand and to make a public profession of their faith. For those who may not know you, that today would be the day that they would recognize their sinfulness, they would repent, and they would receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. God, we pray also for those who know you but haven't been totally committed to you, that today would be the day they offer their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is our spiritual service of worship. God, we thank you that you've chosen to use any of us. And as Joshua was called and chosen by you, it's all about you and not about us. Because God, when you choose to use what the world considers unqualified or uneducated men to do great things for your kingdom, then men and women clearly see you because it's a God thing. And Lord, we're here today to humble ourselves, to walk in humility with you, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And all God's people said, amen. amen.